0: You are listening to the Talking Tough podcast, the world's toughest men and women at their most vulnerable. Their stories of triumph, their falls from grace, and their climb back to the top, to life. This is Rick Bassman here for Talking Tough on the Podcast One Network. Hey everybody, it's Rick Bassman. Spent about 30 years in virtually every aspect of the crazy worlds of pro wrestling and mixed martial arts and have literally hundreds, if not thousands of uh, some pretty wild stories. So once a week, we'll tell one right here on Little Big Man, the ring and the cage. Today, I want to talk about, it. uh, it's a story that kind of intersects both worlds, pro wrestling and mixed martial arts, like so many of my stories do. Uh, It's 1996. And myself and Sean McCauley and Craig Ragel opened the first true mixed martial arts gym ever in the state of California called Extreme University. I kill myself and, and spend literally my last dollar getting this place open. The goal is to, uh, to build schools for pro wrestling and mixed martial arts both uh, to create a career for myself but also altruistically I hope to provide a platform for lots of men and women to come in train, get better at their craft, and then get out and get jobs in, in the worlds of pro wrestling and mixed martial arts, um, a lot of which I would facilitate. I would help them do that. If I was doing the packaging, doing the, the work to get people into those worlds, then I would oftentimes sign people as management and dedicate a lot more time, money, energy, and whatnot. One such individual that crossed over into both worlds for me, or I did for him, was Tony Holm who is better known to uh, WWF, now WWE fans, as Ludwig Borga. He had an amazing run on top as a heel. It didn't last long, uh, mainly against Lex Luger. Uh, Tony was a guy that was earmarked for stardom at an early point in time. It didn't quite go to the level it should have for a whole bunch of reasons, which I won't get into today. But, uh, you know, Tony had been journeying in and out, both of fighting and wrestling, when he and I crossed paths. First in 19... uh, 85 or 86 when he became one of the bad guys was a little gimmick. We did opposite power team USA, which included Sting warrior and some others. Later, Tony wandered into my gym. And we decided we're going to work together again. He was looking to make a comeback in pro wrestling. But this also when I was when I was getting very involved with mixed martial arts and I said, Tony, what do you think about taking a shot at UFC? I had just uh, formed a relationship with Bob Myrowitz and Art Davy. Bob was the original owner, Art was the booker. This was back in the day when they still were doing crazy name styles like Hawaiian bone breaking and all kinds of other made up martial arts or things I had never heard of. And I didn't think it'd be too far fetched back then to put a pro wrestler into UFC. I contacted Art Davy. he was all for it. We booked Tony home. And then here we go. I sit down with Sean McCauley and Justin McCauley, and we work out a six week, very detailed hardcore training schedule for Tony to uh, to go give it his shot. Uh, we booked the fight just six weeks out. That's typically what happened in those days. And day after day after day, Tony is an absolute no show for training. Um, there's always one Pretty ridiculous excuse after another for a while. He's not making it way worse than like the dog ate my homework kind of, kind of nonsense. Now, Tony had this tough guy reputation. He's 6'5", 315 pounds, truly like facially one of the scariest looking guys you've ever seen. Now, keep in mind, this is back in the late 90s when people that looked like that were still perceived to be the toughest guys on this planet. There were no weight classes yet. There were no world-class athletes fighting at welterweight or lighter weights. It was all about the biggest scariest looking guy in our minds, even though we were pretty educated, we still didn't know enough to know that it didn't necessarily mean they were the toughest guys on the planet, but we thought Tony was, he looked the part. He loved to tell stories about how he nearly killed people. And some say did kill people with his bare hands again before the internet proliferated. So it wasn't easy to check these stories. Um, he was a Finnish heavyweight boxing champion of, uh, yeah, sorry, the boxing champion, heavyweight of Finland, for whatever that's worth. I don't know. That was verifiable, so at least he had done some fighting. But anyway, here we are going day after day after day getting ready for UFC, and Tony is just not training. In the meantime, uh, Art calls me, um, Art Davy I may have said Art Door before. That's tough, man. That's a story for another day. Art Davy the Booker, calls. He goes, Rick, Tony's opponent just dropped out. He's heard some rumors that Tony is like murdered people with his bare hands and the guy essentially chickened out and didn't want to fight. And the, the Internet, which was when it in its nascent stages reported this and this big buzz started about this homicidal maniac Tony coming to the UFC. Art booked another opponent. Um, I forget the guy's name. He got injured legitimately in training. Uh, but that added to that added to the, uh, the rumor mill that people were afraid to fight Tony. This guy didn't drop because he was afraid, but for legit reasons, Jason Farron, who later had a famous like hair pulling match with Guy Mezger in UFC, was the next opponent. booked. Jason, too, great guy, as it turned out, got injured in practice. So in training. So now Jason couldn't fight. That's three opponents, booked, three opponents gone. We're getting close to fight time. Art calls me, he's like, I don't know if we're going to be able to find anybody to fight him now, because everybody is now getting legitimately scared. In the meantime, no training. Finally, I mean, Sean Macaulay is on Tony, like, you wouldn't believe I'm on Tony. We finally get him to meet us at Gokor's out in the Valley one day and Gokor later trained uh, Ronda Rousey. It was Gene LaBelle's partner. We go out there, there's all, uh, you know, it's all Armenian for the most part. These guys are tough. There's a class, or not a class, a training group with a bunch of smaller guys, and they're executing these amazing flying arm bars. So Tony stands there, and part of the story is me doing my best to do this bad guy finish accent. I'm not good at it, but I'll try. Tony says, oh, what is that? That's very fancy. They could never put that on me. I would kill them. So Gokor says, well, so-and-so, flying arm bar, Tony. Guy runs, flying arm bar. Tony, big, strong guy, muscles the guy up, slams him down, but then we hear this pop. His elbow popped out. This is his only day of training. But credit to Tony. He's like, oh, he's nothing. It's a little scratch. I still fight. I still train. But then no more training. All right. Flash forward to Augusta, Georgia, UFC 13. Craig Roudgel and I fly out there to corner for Tony. Sean McCauley, who at this point kind of had Tony's number, wanted no part of it. And I don't blame Sean. Um, He saw an embarrassment coming. Craig and I still being kind of seduced by the big scary guy thing, thought we were good. Sean ducked out, smart move. Craig and I went to Augusta, not so smart. We get there a day before Tony, and the the fever about him now is built to this crazy pitch. Everybody is afraid of Tony Hall. So Tony gets there, and also to his credit, I, I, t- I called him, I said, Tony, when you get there, don't talk to anybody. If anybody talks to you, just growl at them. So we're still crossing over from pro wrestling to mixed martial arts, again, different era. You would never instruct a guy like this now. Um, Tony gets there. He, you know, cold shoulders, everybody. People think he's an asshole, which some people will tell you wasn't far from the truth. I like Tony. Not a lot of people share that opinion from pro wrestling, but that's just, again, a story for a different day. So Tony, to his credit, as I started to say, asks me when I do my interviews, should I work them or should I shoot them? I said, Tony, work your interviews. stay in character. That's our best advantage at this point. Uh, An opponent had been named for him in the meantime. We had never heard of the guy. We didn't know much about him, but apparently he was a real wrestler. So, Tony, just, you know, work the interviews. Let's see if we can keep the psychological advantage. So, we go to the interview room, pre, pre-tape room the day before, and the uh, the woman producer asked Tony, so, um, uh, Mr. Holmes, what is your strategy for this fight? And Tony says, ah, I will reap his arms right off his shoulders. And, and this lady takes a beat. And she had this weird look on her face. Like you couldn't tell if she was amused, if she was scared. And she comes back and says, well, that's an interesting strategy. Uh, what if that doesn't work? And Tony says, he like glares right in the camera and yells, then I will reap his fucking head off. This is his words, not mine. I don't like to use profanity, but it's part of the story. This lady looked genuinely shocked. And that, that ended, sorry ended, ended the interview articulation rick we get excited about these things so they're playing this on the screens in the hotel it goes out on the newswire in the meantime i later became friends with the guy who went on to be tony's opponent he told me his his opponent told me his mother had seen this interview on tv and called and begged him not to fight tony that's how afraid the opponent's mother was it was pretty funny um anyway it's two days before now i think and uh tony says I want to train, uh, I need to train, so great. There's mats at Gold's Gym that have been provided. We go to Gold's. Tony decides, and he's gonna train with Craig. Craig was a big guy, and that's my partner, good wrestler, pretty decent fighter. Uh, they're gonna roll, but Tony decides he wants to lift weights instead. So he's doing this like monster, monster, heavy sets of bench, heavy squats, heavy deads. I've never seen all three in one workout, but that was Tony. And we're going, Tony, you're fighting in a day or two. This is not the way to train. It's okay. I'd be the strongest man in the world. I can squash him to death. So we like we feel like Tony's starting to believe his, his own press now. It's actually getting kind of funny. Um, so that's Tony's workout. While we're in the gym, this lovely young lady walks up to him. Um, she kind of looked like she had missed the casting for Deliverance Part 2. I mean, she was missing teeth. Um, she, you know, anyway, she comes up and says, to Tony, younger, younger lady goes, ain't you Ludwig Borga? We're in the South. I do terrible accents, but I'm doing my best. And he says, "Why? Well, yes, young lady, I am. So they start talking. I see them exchange phone numbers, the whole nine yards. Okay, whatever. It's all good. Tony says, I need to eat. Hard training session. So Craig and I and Tony, we go to Applebee's. Tony orders like the two massive cheeseburgers and then a double hot fudge Sunday for dessert. Tony, this is now the day before the fight, I think, if memory serves. Tony, you're fighting tomorrow. What are you eating? Oh, it, it gives me strength. It gives me a big sugar rush so I get crazy. I can go out and kill. And, and now we know he's believing his own press. We don't know what the hell is going to happen in this fight. Um, we're in the lobby that morning, 3 a.m. It, you know, it was Craig and I, first time we're at UFC. We're all excited to be part of the deal now. We're in the lobby at 3 a.m. This is before the day before the fight, or technically day of the fight, talking with Maurice Smith, who'd become a friend and later, and now a good friend, I'm happy to say. And the elevator doors ding. like, 3 a.m., who's that? And here comes Tony, and he's holding hands with this girl that he met in the gym earlier that day. We see him walk her out to her car, her van, actually it was, hug and kiss, looks like they're falling in love. He walks back in. Now, this is about as un-PG as I'll ever get, but this part of the story. He walks in. Tony, you're fighting in like 14 hours. What are you doing? Oh, he goes, here's my pre-fight ritual. He goes, I find the B-I-T-C-H. I take her. I put her in my room. Then I put me in her. I go in and out a few times. And he goes, and then I stop before I pop. That way it makes me really mean for the fight the next day. And Craig and I and Maurice started looking at each other go, OK, great, Tony. Have a good night. Good strategy. We'll see you tomorrow. So fight day comes, you know, the uh, checking for gear and all that. Tony has no mouthpiece. I and mean, why would he bring a mouthpiece to an MMA fight, right? So we start looking around to borrow one. I had just met Rico Ciparelli, the, the legendary trainer from the raw team, who later became a friend, very good friend of mine and a partner. Uh, he later introduced me to mark coleman and mark kerr who i managed and ended up managing and a bunch of others so i go look for rico who's managing the opponent tony is going to fight craig and i go looking for him we find them in the training room we actually end up borrowing his oppo- uh, spare mouthpiece from tony's opponent so tony can wear during the fight uh pretty ironic and we're watching them train you know these days you would never go into an opponent's training room and watch them train it's just it was, it was the Wild West back then. Things were different. And we're watching Tony and this guy wrestle. And we're like, wow, this guy looks pretty good. Not a big guy, you know, six foot, maybe 200 pounds, no body really, uh, not theatrical looking, just average dude. But he looked good on the mats. So we go back to Tony and give him the mouthpiece. And Craig says to Tony, hey, this guy looks like a good wrestler. Whatever you do, don't run straight at him. Tony goes, well, why, why not? I run over, I kill him like a steamroller. Craig goes, because if you run straight at him, he's going to drop his level, probably. He's going to shoot, double leg you, pop on top, start pounding, try to flip you over, go for a choke. Tony goes, no, you can never do that, never take me down. And he could choke me. I would die first. I would never tap. Okay, awesome. Good, good. Just It's more and more the same. Anyway, fight time comes. And the bell rings. And out goes Tony. He doesn't run straight at his opponent. He kind of like lumbers at him with his arm raised, telegraphed. What I could only describe as like slow motion. So his opponent, we're watching it, drops a level, boom, double leg, takes him down, pops up in a full mount in like half a second, throws one punch down, Tony flops over on his belly, opponent sinks the choke, and Tony's like tapping like that. I mean, like saying bye-bye. It. The whole fight was 50-something. I don't know. It's in the record books. UFC 13 first round of the four-man heavyweight tournament. It was less than a minute, that's for sure. Um, on the way back, uh, we're walking back from the caves to the dressing room. And uh, <laughs> Craig goes to Tony. He goes, um, I-, I thought you said you would never uh, never tell." And uh, Tony goes, yeah, but that guy was uh, a-, a quick little smurf and that little smurf just kicked your ass man he's like ah sometimes smurf wins and that was the end of the whole deal uh his opponent by the way in his ufc debut was randy couture also a good friend these days let me tell you something you already know the world ain't all sunshine and rainbows it's a very mean and nasty place and i don't care how tough you are it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it you me or nobody